everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. How many of you are excited to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. I want to welcome all of our guests. If you're here on All Nations Sunday, we're so glad you came. So glad you got to have fun with us. How many of you have had fun so far this morning? How many of you have felt the presence of the Lord this morning? Amen. That's what it's all about. If you're a visitor, we're so glad to have you. Those of you that are not visitors, please be sure to greet all of our guests uh, when you join them for food. There's no better way to make friends than break bread with them. And Pentecostals, we know how to eat. As you can see, it shows clearly in all the pastoral staff. I'm just kidding. I'm totally teasing. I'm teasing. Kinda. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's so also a great honor to have my mother-in-law here and my niece Alicia, all the way from the great state of Arizona. I give her credit for uh, producing uh, my better half, the queen, the one and only Miss Whitney. Who wants to choke slam me for drawing any attention to her now? I'm going to read from 1 Samuel, and it appears I forgot to write actually what chapter I'm reading from. 1 Samuel, well, that's verse 8 of some chapter. That's, that's no bueno. That's a great way to start a message. It's, and Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. Maybe while my uh, staff tries to make up for my blunder, I'll continue to read. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray, let, uh, I said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan." Pray with me. Jesus, we give you all the thanks, Lord. We magnify you. We thank you for your word. We know that your word is anointed. Speak to our hearts, Jesus. Speak to our minds, God. Let our hearts and minds be open to receive what you have for us, Lord, and allow it to saturate our very being, Jesus. I thank you for a moving of the Holy Spirit in this room tonight, this morning, excuse me. If you have need of the Holy Ghost, if you have need of the miraculous, it can happen right here this morning. And everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated. 
Those are pretty. Did we figure out what chapter that was? Huh? Second Kings. What did I say I was reading? From? <laughs> I'll get there eventually, people. Don't worry. Next Sunday, you'll have a real preacher. Um, but clothes are a pretty important thing. Would, would we all agree? We've been wearing them for, I think, like six, 7,000 years ever since we realized we were enjoying paradise in the nude. And we, uh, we realized that we, we needed some clothes. So the Lord, he crafted us our very first clothing items. Uh, well, and they were fur, but we, we had to throw a couple twigs together real quick so we could enter into his presence. And uh, then he crafted for us fur garments. But clothing has some very unique history, specific garments. Uh, for example, patterns like tartan, or as Americans call it, plaid, or argyle, or paisley. They all come from Scotland. Scotland has some very unique patterns, and each of those patterns has a specific meaning. So tartan, as they call it in the UK, or plaid, is what you would wear to represent what family you were from. And they would have a kilt and oftentimes a sash. Um, and uh, that would show you what family, what essentially what tribe you were from. Now, if you wore an argyle pattern kilt or you wore an argyle pattern sash, that was essentially you saying to everybody around you, I hate the king. That's where the, the argyle pattern comes from. It was a rebel's pattern, uh, which was eventually turned into a stylish golfing pattern for some reason. But nonetheless, that is where uh, that comes from. And then you have paisley, which is actually a, a Persian pattern that became popular after it was mass produced in the small city of Paisley, Scotland, somewhere around the 18th century. How many of us own a pair of jeans? Well, don't be so quiet. You can say, yeah, I own a pair of jeans. How many of you own a pair of jeans? <laughs> How many of you like wearing those jeans? They're pretty comfy. Yeah, I got, I got a pair of jeans. Uh, but jeans had a rough start. They started out in the, the, the mid to late 1800s, and a gentleman, a German-American gentleman by the name of Levi Strauss, he in, invented jeans, and uh, they, they got their, their start in mines and on farms and on the American frontier and pretty much anywhere that work had to be done. Jeans were the clothing item of choice because they had these uh, big uh, reinforced pockets, and they were made out of a material as we all know, jean, that was very sturdy and could, would hold up against the elements, hold up to work. Uh, it was an excellent material. And that material actually comes from the city of Genoa in Italy. But apparently Americans can't pronounce Genoa, so it's the, precisely. I've already slaughtered it. Uh, how does it actually pronounce, Pastor? Genoa. Right. So that's exactly why... <laughs> That's exactly why words have a breakdown in uh, Genoa. Have a breakdown here in American culture. <laughs> and that word uh, Genoa, am I saying that correctly? Genoa turned to Genoa, which turned to Jean. And that is why we call jeans jeans. And that's why in a lot of other countries uh, that are outside of American influence, they refer to the material of Jean as dungaree. Like in the UK, they call them dungarees and not jeans. Uh, and that's because uh, the British can refuse to conform to anything that we do. Uh, <laughs> but with the help of the Lord, I want to preach on this subject. Where is 
the king's mantle. See, the mantle was an outer garment. Garments have always been important ever since their creation. And, and one of the important uh, garments of antiquity was a mantle. And mantles just weren't worn by uh, holy men of old. They were worn by pretty much everybody because they started off as essentially just a big cape or a cloak, almost like a blanket that you could wear with you everywhere you went. And it would protect you from the elements. And if you were uh, perhaps to be traveling and you couldn't make it to the city by nightfall, you could use that as a big heavy blanket, almost like a tent. You could actually prop it up. And it was generally uh, made out of wool or some type of animal's uh, fur or skin. It was very heavy, very sturdy, very hardy. The stitching would have been made out of animal sinews. So it was just a very strong material. And it would have held up against the elements. And you could have used it as a blanket or a sleeping bag or a tent. Etc. But like all clothing, eventually something fashionable has got to come from it. And so as time went on, mantles, mantles took on a, their own meaning, if you will. Certain people wore certain mantles. And if you were really wealthy, you had a really intricate mantle, maybe with a lot of uh, exotic stitching in it or made out of materials from far off countries. It, was, it, 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 could, it would represent your wealth. And then there was also mantles that would represent your social status. If you were a, a political leader, or if you were a governor, or if you were a king, or if you were a wealthy merchant. And then there was other mantles. We know about them from scripture. Uh, they would tell people, those around you, if you say were blind, you didn't have a, a walking stick as uh, uh, folks that are blind today have that would indicate blindness and some uh, sickle ray bands like some great musicians we know that I won't name, but um, they, they would wear a mantle and that would identify them as being blind. Even more importantly, lepers would wear a mantle and that would tell people from way off in the distance. There was a very specific pattern to that mantle and people would know that's a leper. Don't get close and you could cry out and lepers were supposed to cry out once a person reached a certain different distance and they were supposed to tell them, hey, I'm a leper. You can't come any closer than that. And people are not exactly going out of their ways to shake hands with the lepers, so they would give them a wide berth. But hopefully before they even had to call, they would see the color of their mantle and they would recognize them as a leper. Clothing is, is very important. Mantles in Scripture were very important. Would we all agree? Have we all read about a mantle in Scripture before? But men of God, they also wore specific mantles. These mantles would immediately identify them as a prophet or a seer or a holy man, etc., etc., etc. These mantles had a lot of uh, importance and a, a lot of, uh, uh, there was a kind of an aurora around someone that wore a specific mantle. Because the mantle began to be associated directly with the authority of God. Essentially, the individual that wore the mantle of a prophet had this cloak over them, and that was to be considered the anointing and the authority and the power of God literally placed on that person. And so that's why in Scripture you see just like the one we talk about uh, uh, so much in, in 2 Kings regarding Elijah, and that's probably the story of Elijah and Elisha are the most prominent stories regarding mantles, but we know that he utilized both Elijah and Elisha, used that mantle to smote the waters. And when they smote the waters, the waters were parted of the River Jordan. 
It's a powerful story about the authority of God when it is placed upon an individual. And when Elijah dropped his mantle, if you, we, we said, I'm sorry, we said that was chapter 2 Kings, Second Kings chapter 2. If I had a pen, I'd write that down. Somebody make a mental note for me so you can shout it at me. <laughs> this is, uh, I'm going to give everybody a, a, a really quick note. This is not what you want to do while you're preaching. <laughs> Second Kings. Thank you. Appreciate it. I actually, I did, uh, I did fail homiletics the first time I ever took it. I, I, I try not to tell everybody. I had straight A's. Believe it or not, Sister Barb, I had straight A's. You know what Sister Barb had the audacity to tell me? I was, I was sitting there on the front row. I'm just, I'm just poppy grande, minding my own business, you know, just trying to do good in a game. And she told me second place is just the first loser. And she said it with a smile on her face. I'm... <laughs> you do listen. Thank you, Sister Mark. But in 2 Kings 2 and verse 11, And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. Now, I find that I never really noticed that portion before, but I thought that was very interesting. See, before he picked up the mantle of Elijah, he does something very unique. He rips his own clothes. Now I started. I was kind of interested because, uh, to me, when you say ripping your own clothes, that would kind of, especially the type of clothing they would were wearing, it'd be like a long, uh, heavy wool uh, or sh um, animal skin gown almost, and it would it would be quite long. But and if you were to rip that, essentially you just fall out of your clothes and you'd be standing there in your skivvies. But we know from Scripture that he's not just standing there in his skivvies. So what that means is he ripped his outer garment. He ripped his outer garment before putting on the outer garment of Elijah. And so I wondered, I was very curious what the two differences in those, those words were. And I found out in the Hebrew, though, the two different words used there to describe Elisha's clothing or outer garment and Elijah's, Elijah's outer garment are exactly the same. They mean the exact same thing in context. They both mean a mantle. But what I found very interesting was the words that they use. To describe Elisha's clothing, they use the word bigadal. And that is a masculine, masculine Hebrew compound. And it literally just means an outer garment that was of ample size. That's it. An outer garment of ample size. But I found it very interesting what you, a word is used to describe Elijah's mantle. And that is a feminine Hebrew construct. And it means adereth. Or it is adereth. And it means literally this. The glory. The glory. I couldn't help but, uh, I know this is completely off subject. 
and I hope you don't mind as I jump down this uh, rabbit trail real quick. But I don't think it is coincidence that that is a, a feminine word, a feminine construct. I think it is very intentionally done. Uh, if I can preach to some, some young men and some young women real quick. The reason that's a feminine word is because uh, the scripture says when a, a man findeth a woman, he findeth a, a wife. When he findeth a wife, he findeth a good thing. See, when you, young men, when you marry a young lady, she essentially becomes your covering, your mantle, if you will. And people recognize you from afar off by the mantle you're wearing. That's why it's so important that you pick the right person. Because you can either wear a bigadaw, just a standard, and don't go around calling chicks bigadaws, you know what I mean? If you do, I'm going to know. But you can put on just a bigadaw, and that, you might have a really nice one. You might be identified as a, a wealthy businessman or a, a highly educated intellect or a political individual of prominence, but it will never have the authority of an adereth, the glory of God. That's why it's so important, young ladies, that you maintain your purity, that you stay steadfast to the word of God. And that's why it's so important, young men. I know you're, there's only a handful of you right now today, so it's ironic I get to preach straight to my brother. This is a very important message for you. Amen. But it's so important that when you're looking for an individual, you're not looking for just a regular cloak or garment, even if it might be fancy. You need to be looking for the glory because people will identify you by the mantle that you're wearing. That's why I give honor to my wife. She's a beautiful mantle, but she's also the glory. She's my glory. She's God's glory. Amen. There's a lot of significance in the cloaks that you put on. And we see that Elisha was very distraught. See, because when you tear your mantle, it's, it, in antiquity, it wasn't like you just went over to the closet and pulled out another mantle. I know for us, sometimes that's really hard to understand because I ripped this jacket, I'll just go to the closet and pull out a new one. But in days of old, those garments were designed to last you a lifetime. They were designed to last your lifetime and your son's lifetime and their son's lifetime. They were designed to go the distance. So when you tore a mantle, it was very significant. That was something that had a lot of meaning to you. You'd potentially been wearing that mantle ever since your father gave it to you or his father gave it to him. That was something of great significance. So when a man in scripture tears his mantle, he is expressing deep sorrow. And he may go for days, weeks, months, and years with a torn mantle. And everyone will know he has experienced great sorrow because he has torn his mantle. And he would eventually go and have a seamstress sew it back together with the sinews of animals or he would have to have one uh, entirely rewoven if it was made, if, if it was woven out of uh, some type of wool material. He would have to have it completely recreated. So it was very important, it was very significant when a man tore his mantle. 
And we see that Elisha, he is very distraught. And he tears his mantle as a sign of extreme emotional distress as he sees his teacher being swept off in a chariot of fire. And he, in, the, in that moment, he's so, he's so distraught, he tears his garments. He tears his mantle. Tearing your mantle was something that we see in Scripture. Even in the, in the New Testament, we, I believe it was uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, when they, were, they went to a specific city and they were, they were proclaimed as gods. And Paul tore his, his garment, said, no, 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 don't call us don't call it. We're not gods. That, that's not our M.O. And he was so distraught. He, he wanted to show how distraught he was to the people by tearing his garments. See, that would have been something that was shocking. All the people would have gone silent when they saw him tear his garments. But it was often a, a, accompanied by other acts of self-depreciation, such as shaving one's head or shaving one's beard. And from scripture and from historical context, we know that a beard was very important to a man in biblical times. If, if a king wanted to shave a, a, excuse me, shame a messenger from another king, or if he wanted to shame another king, he would shave off his beard or pull out his beard. And that was an extreme act of uh, uh, hum, uh, humiliation. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for there? That's humil humiliation? Humiliation, yes. Extreme act of humiliation. For some reason, I can't get my words together today. Yeah. <laughs> humiliation. And this would have been accompanied by uh, shaving one's head or throwing dust or ash on yourself or wearing sackcloth. How many of you have heard of sackcloth? So sackcloth was essentially the burlap of the day. What it was is it was just black goat's uh, skins or hides that had been tanned and they would have been uh, sewn together and turned into bags for industrial uses. They would have been filled with grain or wheat or whatever they had need of carrying in big heavy bags. Uh, but when an individual wanted to express uh, just distress or their, how distraught or just emotional strain, they were broken. They would, they would oftentimes shave their heads, rip their mantles, cover themselves in dust or ash, and wear sackcloth. And they were quite a sight. And it would show everyone around that this individual was in mourning. So to tear your mantle was quite the ordeal. I want to read a couple of scriptures that I actually do have the chapters for. Somebody give me a little clap. Okay, nobody? Okay, thank you. Did your job, Jesse. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 2. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and get this, and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard and sat down astonished. Now, those of you, uh, every now and then I'll have my wife, I will grow a vicious unibrow if I do not uh, shave that mess or, or wax it or do something. I will grow a full-on unibrow. That's just how my hair grows. It's kind of cute. If you see Vivian, my daughter, you'll notice she also has the, the, uh, 
the strong unibrow going. <laughs> Passed it down. Um, but those of you that have ever had um, anything plucked, you know, it, my wife, she plucks my, my brows for me now, and she can attest the fact that I am a huge sissy when it comes to having hair pulled out of my face. I do not like it, even in the slightest. I, it is uncomfortable for me, especially when she gets down here on, the, on my eyelids, you know, because I got those big old bushy brows that grow straight down onto my face that connect with my sideburns kind of thing. If only that was a joke. No. <laughs> so I, I know the pain of having hair pulled, but it says here in the scripture, he was so distraught, he ripped out the hair of his head and ripped out the hair of his beard. That is serious distress. To rip out the hair of your beard. And, he, and it says he plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and I sat down astonished. So this is not something run of the this tearing tearing your mantle wasn't just something you did. You know, you're five minutes late for work. You know, your your boss writes you up. You don't rip your mantle. You know, you're you're just getting off work. You want to go to your favorite coffee shop. It's closed. You don't rip your mantle. You lock your keys inside of your camel. You, you don't rip your mantle. That's not one of those moments. But it's in moments of extreme distress that these men are seen. Let me read you another one. Job chapter 1. How many of you know the story of Job? Now that is a man that was in a position where I, I think distress was justified. Then Job arose in Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Verse 27. And as Samuel turned away to go, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. Rending Mantles, we know at that, at, at that point in Scripture is when Samuel turns to the would-be King Saul and tells him that this day, because my mantle's been torn at your hand this day, the kingdom will be ripped from your hand. Rending a mantle was deeply symbolic. And in order to pass down a mantle, one would have definitely repaired it had it been torn. You would not, you would not want to to pass on a torn or tattered mantle as that would kind of, uh, that would be disrespectful in the sense of what the mantle actually represented. You wouldn't want to uh, re uh, hand down a half whole mantle if you were. You would want to hand down something that had been repaired, something that had stood the test of time. It may have been battered, but it is there, it is whole, and it is repaired, it is ready to go, be used. Any flaw would have violated the symbolism of passing down the mantle. And I believe today there are still mantles that are passed. I, I really do. I believe that uh, there are specific men of God, uh, be they uh, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
they have certain callings, and God has placed very specific authorities on their life. And I believe that's, that sometimes individuals cross their path when they are ordained by God, and the Lord tells them, this is the individual that will take your mantle. I, you know, I'm, I've always been interested with uh, mantles. I'm a, I, my daughter is a fifth and sixth generation Pentecostal on, on both sides of mine and my wife's family. And so a heritage is something that I, I honor, uh, but I know it's not a, essential. My grandfather is a first-generation Pentecostal, and uh, he's, a, he's a pretty serious OG. As he's giving me that OG face, like, move along. <laughs> Told you. Man's real. But there's, there's something to be honored and respected about a heritage and I always found the passing of mantles to be something of interest and but I always wondered you know there's always one mantle that was that is higher than all the rest you see because 2,000 years ago there was a man named Christ Jesus of Nazareth and he came and he walked this earth And he allowed himself to be crucified on a tree. And he shed his blood so that you and I could be saved. And I, I see so many individuals, they're chasing after, you know, they, they put these individuals with a mantle almost on a pedestal. They put them on a pedestal. And I'm always curious, what about the mantle of Jesus? What about the mantle of the king? Now, I don't have a very... Uh, ornate mantle today. Uh, I have this towel I got from the baptismal um, closet, which, by the way, is newly remodeled. Thank you, my brother. And um, it is clean. That's a huge plus for anybody that's looking to get baptized today. We have clean towels. That's a huge deal. And the texture is soft. How many of you ever been to a hotel and the hotel was great and then they had really crispy, like, rough, so like, like sandpaper towels. Yeah. Y'all been there? That just turns you off to the whole... It could be a five-star hotel, but if they've got those, those stiff, itchy towels now, you need those plush. And today I want to tell you that we have the Spirit of the Lord and we have the plush towels. Come on now. But I don't have an ornate mantle, but I hope... Y'all can put on your imagination caps for just a moment and pretend this is a very ornate mantle. But I've always been curious about the mantle of Christ. I want to read some scripture to you. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. We actually recently talked about this scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And if you recall, we discussed, maybe it was a couple months ago, that the train of a king was very important because that originated as a mantle. But like we said, as styles evolved and as people got a little more money, their mantles got nicer and nicer and nicer. You have, how many of you have ever seen a portrait of the king, the king of England, prior? I know there is no king currently, it's just the queen, but how many of you have seen pictures of the king? How many of you have seen him dressed in this Really nice red 
flowy robe and it has like white fur and there's little black flecks on it. That is essentially a mantle and that is actually the mantle of the king that has been passed down for almost a thousand years in the, the, the kingdom of Great Britain. That's a, it's a very important piece of clothing, if you will. And uh, maybe not the exact one, but something exactly like it has been passed down. That's something uh, of prominence, and it's something that became very fashionable in Europe for the royals to have something of that nature. But kings, what they would do in days of old is they would wear these beautiful mantles. And when they would defeat another king in battle, they would either take their sword and they would cut off a section of his mantle... Or they would literally just take his entire mantle and have a seamstress attach it to their own mantle. So these great conquering kings would have these long trains made out of other kings' mantles. And it would show that they were victorious. They would have these massive, just huge trains that they would have servants carry them in. And when they would sit on the throne, the, the train would kind of go down the steps maybe of their throne and down, down the aisle of their court. And you would know that that king is extremely victorious. He has defeated many foes in battle. And so it says in Scripture, and his train filled the temple. His train filled the temple. That means our Lord is victorious. That means every foe he's ever faced, he has defeated. Victory is in his hand. Victory is who he is. I, I started punching some numbers just because I was very interested uh, to know. And it took me a little while because I, I couldn't find out the difference between uh, cubits and feet. But I found out it's about 16 inches. Uh, and looking at the temple that would have been referred to here in the book of Isaiah, uh, the temple itself would have been about 16,000 square feet if you consider just the inner sanctum of the temple. The entire temple itself was about six times that size, including the court. And when they refer to temple in Scripture, they're referring to the entire edifice. When they were, are talking about the interior, just the inside portion, they call it the inside of the temple or the holiest of holies. So it would be about 16,000 feet just in the inside, and it would be about six times that size, including the entire court. So for anybody interested, also the word there used is filled. And in Hebrew, that would, just like in English, that would indicate volume and not length. So his, his train filled the temple. Uh, so I, I punched some numbers, and anybody who's interested, so pretty much just me and Josh, wherever he is, uh, it's the temple would have been a, approximately... Uh, 19,440,000 cubic feet, and by my estimation, would require about 8,100,000 mantles to fill. At least 8 million mantles to fill. That's a lot of victories. I wonder where all the overflow went. Because we know, we know, the, we know Jesus. We know our King. He's never been defeated. He has everything in His hand. All power is His. All victory is His. All honor is His. All glory is His. There is no one like the Lord. No one can stand beside Him. No one can stand before Him. No one can stand behind Him. He doesn't cast a shadow. He's the Father of lights. 
He is the great I am. He is all powerful. He is almighty. Can we just magnify him for a moment? Would you stand to your feet and worship him for just a second? Jesus, we magnify you, God. We love you, God. Thank you for your presence, Lord. We lift you up, Jesus. We thank you for your victories, God. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your name. We thank you for your providence, Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Every now and then, you just got to stand up and worship. You know what I mean? Eight million victories, at least. But who's counting? His victories are endless. His power is limitless. His words everlasting. And his love is fathomless. But I wonder, where is the king's mantle? Where is the mantle of Jesus? Where is the mantle of Jesus? There are four Gospels uh, in, in Scripture, four Gospels that are canon. And those four Gospels are four different accounts. But they're also to four different audiences. I say four as I'm holding up five fingers. <laughs> four audiences. So there was Matthew. He's speaking uh, really to the Jews. And you can tell because the, whole, the book of Matthew opens with this beautifully ornate genealogy. He wants to speak to the people who really cared about that kind of stuff. And that was the Jews. Then there was Mark. He's writing to the Romans. He's trying to convert the Romans. And then there's Luke. Luke was a Greek. He's writing to the Greeks. He's specifically targeting them. But then there's John. And John is writing to everybody. And John is probably my favorite gospel because John was there to the very bitter end. He can, he can write on the crucifixion in a way that the other writers really can't. There's a little more detail. Let's read John chapter 19, verse 19, that Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. And the chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. But that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with his undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said one to another. Let's Decide by lot who will receive it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. And there's a lot of precedence put on the undergarment, which would have been 
his actual cloak, the gown, the robe that he wore. And there's, uh, there even there's different doctrines and, and different uh, religious groups that, that call that like a holy vestment. And that's where they get a lot of, uh, for example, in Catholicism, that's where they, and the orthodoxy, that's where they draw a lot of their inspiration for uh, the, the, uh, the gowns that the clergy wear. But I find it very interesting. Nothing is said about the outer garment other than that they divided it into four sections, four groups. That's very powerful. While everyone else was worried about the, one, the garment that was seamless. At the feet of Jesus, literally, they had just crucified him. And they're down there gambling. These are hard men. They're down there gambling at his feet for his clothing. And his mantle. The mantle of the most influential, the most powerful individual to ever walk the face of the earth. is simply divided and torn into three pieces. Four pieces, excuse me. Simply torn and divided into pieces. Where is the mantle of the king? It is so powerful. The message that Jesus is literally divulging right there in scripture. The Gentiles. The Jews. The Greeks. The Romans. Everyone. Everyone who has literally been a part of having me crucified. And they are literally at my feet gambling for my clothes. And my mantle I will allow to be divided and dispersed to all of them. My mantle I will allow to be given to the nations. See, a mantle was something of great significance. Had it existed on, they would have turned it into some holy relic. But the Lord allowed it to be divided. His mantle. A symbol of His power, His authority. He allowed it to be divided and given to the nations. Where is the King's mantle? It's in us. See, because not many days thence, the Spirit of the Lord came, the Comforter. And it was poured out in a small room to a small group of people. And then that began to grow. They took it to the streets and thousands believed and were filled. But the Lord was sending a message. He said, my mantle, what I have what I have called you to do. How will you fulfill the great commission? And by what authority will you fulfill it with? I've already divided my mantle. It's already gone out to the nations. You see those Roman soldiers? They would have been stationed all over the known world. Some of them could have shipped out the very next day, gone to Greece, gone to northern Africa, gone to the very farthest parts of Europe that were known. The Roman Empire was vast. It controlled everything around the Mediterranean and as far north as Hadrian's Wall at the border of Scotland. 
all over the known world to every nation. The mantle of Jesus Christ was given. By what authority do we operate? Under what cloak do we operate? How will people recognize us? By the mantle of Jesus Christ. The mantle that was divided at Calvary. And I think it's so amazing. To the very end. Jesus is the very essence of humility. Because while everyone overlooks the fact that they just divided the mantle. They're, they're looking at his, uh, his other garments. His seamless garments. They're, they're looking at other things. And nobody stops to realize that the mantle of the only begotten son has been torn in four pieces and divided amongst the nation. I'm here to tell somebody this morning that you have the authority. You have the mantle. I, I, I knew a lot of guys in Bible school and even some young ladies. They were always talking to me. You know, we don't have anybody to, to rub shoulders with that, you know, who... who Whose mantle are, are we going to take? You have the most powerful mantle there is. It's been divided amongst the nations. The mantle of Jesus Christ. And you can operate in that authority. That's why you can be a first generation and take the gospel to the world. How many nations, Bishop? 140? 146 nations. Because you have the mantle of Christ. Amen. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you have never been filled with the Spirit of God, if you've never spoken other tongues, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've never repented of your sins, this is your morning. And you can take on the mantle of Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about chasing after great men. You don't have to worry about looks. You can obtain the mantle of Jesus Christ this morning. And if you're in this room and you're already filled with the Holy Ghost and you have already repented and you've already been baptized in Jesus' name, then I want you to know that you are currently under the covering of the most significant mantle of all times. And it is your duty, your task to take the gospel the good news of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus to the streets, to the highways, and to the byways, and those that do not know him. And by what authority will you do this? You will do it by the authority of the mantle of Jesus Christ, which is granted to us by his spirit, by which we are filled, and by which the world will see the evidence of God manifest on this earth. If you would, would you just raise your hands right now for a moment? Jesus, lift your voices with me. Jesus, we love you, God. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There is no greater mantle than the mantle that was divided at Calvary. Divided and sent out to the nations. If you all will stand with me as our musicians come, I'm going to open these altars. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, if you've never experienced that joy of having the Lord come in and cleanse your heart, you, cleanse your mind, this morning is your morning. I want you to come forward. We'll pray with you. And these, these, this tank is ready. This tank is prepared.
It's all clean. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, this is your morning. If you've never been renewed in water and by spirit, this is your morning. There is no greater mantle than the king's mantle. We know that mantle is vast. It's a symbol of his victory. And it fills the entire temple. But on that day, it says they crucified him at 9 o'clock in the morning. On that day, he allowed his mantle to be divided amongst the Gentiles. The very, in, at the hands of the very individuals that had crucified him. That's how much Jesus loves us. Not only was he willing to die for us, but his power and authority, he instantaneously turned and gave it to us as we were crucified him. I'll say it one last time. If you've never received the Holy Ghost or if it's been a while since you spoke in tongues or talked with God, this is your morning. The mantle is awaiting you. And if you've already received the Spirit of God, you need to take this authority to the streets and allow it to empower you. Allow it to empower your witness. Allow it to empower your lifestyle. These altars are open. Make your way down here. The Spirit of the Lord is moving in this place right now.